Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And well, that was a bit better than we thought it was going to be, but not as good as it could have been, if that makes sense. Um, Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten are with us. Laurie was at Anfield yesterday, so we're going to go through all the details of that 0-0 draw against Liverpool, all the fallout as well. And bizarrely, there's no midweek game to look forward to, which I think is just about the first time this season that I've said that when it's not been the international break. But we will find a few more nuggets to bring you, of course, like we always do, including the fact that Andy turns 50 tomorrow. Don't you, Andy? Thanks for that. Yes, I do. And it's why I couldn't go to Anfield. My wife put me under strict orders <laughs> at the start of the season. So it wasn't because United had lost by an aggregate of 11-0 in the past two seasons. Nah. You weren't, you know, <laughs> nah. shying away from it. I've been struggling with my recent trips from there, to be honest. <laughs> and, and I did walk past it last week just to check on the construction of the new stand. You know what I'm like. <laughs> Make sure it's safe. Uh, but it no, was I, open. I, it, was, it looked good, to be fair, Andy. I know, I know. Liverpool have done a good job with, with, with Anfield and I'm slightly envious of how, the, how they're doing it. But uh, no, I was banned from going. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> Sounds about right. I thought she'd actually would have done you a favour, really. But in some ways, it would have been quite nice to witness that and all the, the bitterness after the game as well. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it. I wrote in The Athletic on Thursday, Friday that I'd never gone into a, a game so despondent about Manchester United's prospects at Liverpool away. We saw all the statistics. You read most of them out in the press box at Old Trafford last week. Just to tempt fate, obviously. Well, the only thing that gave me hope, and I said this yesterday, was football can be a really weird game at times. And I'm I'm watching it in a pub, which I never normally do. We don't like watching games in pubs. I'm thinking exactly what I do when I always go to Anfield is if we can just get to the third minute without conceding, but like two, in 2022, we couldn't even do that. And suddenly we get to five and it's nil-nil. And then it's eight minutes. And then it's 12 minutes. Suddenly you're 15 minutes in. And United are stinking the place out. And it reminds you of that Mourinho game where he did the same thing. But you're growing in confidence all the time. And they're just defending like warriors. And suddenly Johnny Be- Johnny Evans and Raphael Varane look like nothing's going to get past them. And at half time I was pretty confident that United would see out a nil-nil and that, all things considered, is a really good result. Yeah, in a way, Laurie, it was one of the most comfortable nil-nil draws having had, what, 30% possession and conceded 34 shots <laughs> that I can ever remember. It, it, United just didn't look like conceding despite the fact that they were conceding shot after shot, chance after chance, but they weren't clear-cut. I can't even remember Andre Onana having to make a really top, top-level save. I think that one from Virgil van Dijk in the first half was, was pretty good, but again, if he'd let that in, you might have pointed the finger and said, mm, should have done better there. Um, I thought Andy was calling him 
Johnny Baracy then for a second. Um, I, mean, I was he, I meant to. <laughs> <laughs> he looked he looked pretty good, didn't he, on the ball? I mean, everyone's thinking, oh, thirty five year old Anfield. You know, he only came into Manchester United on a you know a free because he was trying to keep fit to you know maintain his um, his potential for for going to another club elsewhere. And actually, he's he's performing really well at Anfield. Um, Varane returning I thought he was excellent you know his positional plays his marshal in the defence um, was superb Luke Shaw just shows the quality that he's got a left back you know certain tight situations that he was able to wriggle out of and actually provide a bit of attacking impetus but yeah it was the defensive organisation I think that saw United through and I mean as you've touched on they, they didn't actually carry a great threat but on a couple of occasions a better pass or a better choice of shot you know Rasmus Hoyland was was the best one and Alejandro Garnacho also had a, a really good opportunity they could have actually nicked it um, but I don't know would that have sent you delirious on your 50th Andy would that have been too much excitement at his age it- <laughs> <laughs> listen listen Mr Host I saw you dancing on Saturday you can be cheeky <laughs> a little bit cheeky whoa, with whoa, me whoa. But, what, what? but don't There's a party. do not Was push I not your luck <laughs> yes, yes, you know, yes, you were young, new father. Um, <laughs> well, I knew nothing about this, by the way, so I'm feigning uh, innocence. I mean, if United, if Garnacho would have put that in, it would have just been a, a, a John O'Shea. Yeah. Remember that game? Obviously, we don't forget it. Liverpool were clearly the better team that day, as they were yesterday. They they dominated, but football can throw up these moments. And United defended fantastically well. I thought there was, I'm going to pretend this is my forte, but someone who knows far more than I do said there was a good emotional stability without Bruno Fernandes there, which I thought was quite interesting. And Kobe Maynou's positioning really limited Liverpool's passing channels and effectiveness. Um, Yeah, it, it, it was a really good result. I'm hoping that, I think Eric Ten Hag saying these players are behind me, um, I think he can feel vindicated because everyone, including myself, thought that United would get tonked to Anfield and it didn't happen. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Can we get into some of the detail on on some of the players in the game, Laurie? I mean, Maynou's the one, I think, who has come away with new fans, new people writing about him. He's shown his talent to us in the last few weeks, but to go there and do that at Anfield, stepping in for the Manchester United captain who's suspended and to play like that is hugely encouraging, isn't it? Yeah, massively. I mean, Andy was on this when was it 18 months ago that you wrote your piece on him? Maybe not quite as long as that, but a really good piece on the Athletic from a while back. Just, just I, he's been a player that United have been excited about for for a good while. You know, the FA Youth Cup winning side. He was only 16. He was a first year scholar, so you know he could have played in the next season. And he's actually a really influential player, probably the best player. I know Garnacho took the headlines in that FA Youth Cup winning team for scoring the goals that he did, but Maynou brought 
as you've just said, you know, that kind of emotional stability and maturity to the team, even as a 16-year-old. And then, you know, two years on at Anfield, you know, he'd, he'd made a brilliant um, first full Premier League start, start against Everton, you know, just across the way at Stanley Park. And he went and replicated that against Liverpool. I thought it was probably better, actually, against Liverpool, just because, as Andy said, the, the, the defensive shape that he brought, but also then when he got on the ball, he was actually United's best creator, really. You know, that pass for Garnacho was absolutely immaculate um, and then also he did a, another sort of turn when he had three Liverpool players around him and, and released to Anthony who then um, I think was that the one where he actually beat Trent he did really well beat Trent and then kind of crossed it low and it was just behind Hoyland so you know these are chances that actually just a little tweak to the, the final ball then results in a goal and you're thinking that's an absolutely perfect away performance and he, and he brings that to United I mean it's difficult isn't it because he's 18 you don't want to get too excited too soon but he does I don't know, he just the way he kind of carries himself. And also he got, um, I suppose he was a bit fortunate maybe to avoid a booking early on when he, he made a foul. Uh, and then he got a booking for you know 27 minutes in on Endo. He was just a bit late and he kind of accepted that. But, you know, 60 minutes he had to play there with, you know, a, a booking, a caution against that Liverpool midfield. He never really got trouble beyond that. There was, a, there was a 50-50 that he could have gone into with Endo that he kind of just backed away from and then returned to his position and just just smart intelligent play where he didn't then you know dive in get reckless get a red card and then all of a sudden the, the kind of momentum's with Liverpool so um yeah just a, a really positive display by him I said to Carl at the weekend you are a professional journalist of Ghanaian heritage and you cannot <laughs> pronounce his name correctly do you not think this something is amiss here you should be like the one correcting us not the other way around he said he's working on it. <laughs> All he needs to do is remember Ian's, you know, saying, Cobby, rounds with Robbie, like Robbie Williams, who was a member of your favourite band, take that from back in the day. <laughs> I can't believe you're giving me... Take that, I've done some tunes, you've got to admit. Oh, absolutely. Not, which is your favourite, Andy? Gonna... Which, which were you dancing to on Saturday night? If you're in a party and Never Forget comes on, <laughs> the old place will be bouncing. <laughs> They'll be bouncing. I mean... Ian loves take that, I've gathered that. Arms in the air, the full works. If I was looking at the four of us, I, re- I would say you would be the one who'd be most in to take that, Laurie. Oh, I love it. I, 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 yeah, is that, well, what's your favourite tune then? Bit of shine, go on, bit of shine. <laughs> but isn't it top to see a young lad to come, coming through, local boy, and just being completely unfazed, not just by Goodison, but by Anfield? Because that side was so depleted through injury. And when I saw the team, I thought, geez, this this, this could be a hammering. Because he's still a kid, really mature performance. And as Laurie said, that pass to Garnacho was just wondrous. And his positioning was wonderful. And if he'd just, Garnacho, it looked like the ball got stuck under his foot. Imagine putting that in in front of the cop. Two FA Youth Cup winners. I mean, that would have been beautiful, wouldn't it? Yeah. I thought with that one, I mean, Alexander Arnold sort of tugging him, isn't he? And it felt like either, yeah. I don't know, was it enough for him to go down? It would, it would have given the referee a decision, but then Alexander Arnold just gets back, doesn't he, and, and, and nudges the ball away. But it was, I don't know, it was a close, he, he probably needed a bit more strength to push him off or shrug him off. But again, he's only a teenager. One thing I'm noticing with this this manager, sorry, is um he's really big on his wingers doing defensive duties. And that is costing us in attack. It's a reason why we're not so creative. And I know he's been hammering home this point, but I thought Garnacho and Anthony, the defensive side of their game, was actually decent. Well, my one worry with Garnacho, because he, he is impressing me, because I have I have had doubts about him, he's quite easy to knock off the ball. I don't know whether he needs to go into the gym 
a little bit more. But whenever he gets the ball, he does look like a threat. He does run at players. He does try to take on players in a team where there's almost none of that when you're going away to Liverpool. So I thought he did all right. Yeah, you're hoping that he has a summer like people like Ronaldo have had in the past where they go away in May looking one way and come back in August looking completely different, having spent the summer swigging, what, protein shakes and, and filling up on chicken and whatever else. But um, we'll see with him. I mean, it, the, the maturity is definitely the word with, with Maynou. Um He is only 18, but you get the sense he's not going to get carried away, even if we do. Um, and just the, that quality on the ball, I mean... That's what United need in this midfield, Laurie, as well, isn't it? I mean, forget you know the future and all the predictions about that. Right now, actually, he's incredibly important to Manchester United in midfield. And it was interesting that it didn't feel like they missed Bruno Fernandes particularly, maybe in an attacking sense, but definitely not in a in a structural and defensive sense. And it's difficult. He wouldn't have started Mena, would he, you think? He would have put Bruno as number 10 and McTominay possibly deeper, although McTominay's best moments in games is when he's in that advanced position. So I don't know, it's difficult to sort of picture it. it. Maybe it's a bit of a blessing just to see, okay, this is, you know, Bruno's been such an important figure for United since he joined, you know, the kind of chances that he creates, but he does have that erratic edge to him at times where he, he can um, go out of position and that then leaves gaps elsewhere. So it was, a, I guess, a, just a look at this is what it, it can be like without Bruno. Um, I'm not saying that's an improvement at all because one, one of the aspects that I touched on in my piece is that United only managed to do one sequence of nine passes or more, which is the lowest number of any game this season. I think they had uh, three a couple of times against Galatasaray, which kind of tells about the chaotic nature of the Galatasaray games and also the Liverpool's you know, counter-pressing. But it also, I think, so, and it was partly by design, you know, Eric Tenag wanting fast attacks. He sort of spoke about that afterwards. But also, I think it did tell of, you know, some lack of quality in certain moments and, and, and control that, you know, I think United could do better at. So that's where Bruno perhaps would improve things. But yeah, I think in terms of, of Mainu, it's difficult to... I don't know, can you take him out of the team, really? I know he had Sofian Amrabat next to him and Amrabat had, you know, some poor touches, but also he did do a lot of uh, dog work in the game. You know, he he, he ran a lot and, and kind of closed down angles. Um, I mean, Everton I came into Manchester United wanting a number six that could take the ball off the goalkeeper and, and progress the ball up the field. And that's, Mamenu can do that, absolutely. So you're sort of thinking, okay, it's it's early. It's probably earlier than you'd like to and you don't want to have to rely on him. But certainly you'd hope that he gets more minutes, maybe maybe at Old Trafford as well. I don't think he's had a, a big start at Old Trafford yet. So maybe that's another sort of thing for him to kind of notch off. Um, but yeah, it does whilst it was a limited display by United overall and certainly Liverpool were not at their best, the crowd was actually pretty irritated at times at some of the choices that Liverpool players were making. It, it was one of those performances that Eric Tenag manages to get when it looks like his back's against the wall and you know there's turmoil all around the place. You know, the number six you mentioned there, I asked Eric Tenag because he played number six and he gave me a brilliant answer. And so you can tell what he's looking for in Kobe, which is huge responsibility. He says, when you play six, this is Ten Hag, you're making difficult questions. That position, the pivot, as they call it in Europe, was my position. I didn't have the quality to play top, top level, but I played to my best in teams I played for. Um, and it really impressed me how he knew Duncan Edwards, Nobby Styles, Roy Keane. It's an important position for a team. And I think a lot of managers played in that position. Pep, Ancelotti, Xavi, Louis van Gaal, Dick Advocat, Xavi Alonso. You're in the middle of the pitch. You have to see everything 360. 
to scan everything. A six has to take responsibility for the whole organization to be a connector, to link in and out of possession. I thought that was a really good answer about Cobby Maining. Well, you look at the importance of Michael Carrick in the past to United for similar reasons uh, down the road at, at City. Fernandinho and, and Rodri have been the cornerstones of Pep Guardiola's successful sides as well. I mean, it is a very, very important position. What happens with Casemiro when he comes back, though? Because surely he's got to play that role, hasn't he? What happens with your voice, by the way? You sound like you've had a heavy weekend. Could you just, <laughs> before I answer that, could you just confirm or deny that you were pretending to be Sean Ryder out the Happy Mondays singing Hallelujah <laughs> as as uh, 12 turned to 1 on Saturday night? I'm surprised I just you yes could remember, no. Andy, that that actually was I just going on. Yes but... no. my, my voice doesn't sound anything like as bad as yours. No, okay. You were trying to be Sean Ryder and Bez at the same time. <laughs> Walking around looking for maracas, yeah, at one o'clock in the morning. Um, anyway, where were we? Casemiro, Laurie, Sh should he be, what happens when he comes back? Should sh should he play further up the pitch or am, am I getting too carried away with with Cobby like Robbie? <laughs> I think um, it at least gives United another option, doesn't it? Like, I mean, he was brilliant last season, Casemiro. He started this season and it felt like he wasn't at that same level. He subsequently got a hamstring injury. Um, I'm not sure exactly when he's going to be back, but I think it might be the new year, right? So you've got a, a, a few games yet before we come to this kind of um, dilemma, I suppose. Um, but again, his best moments for United have probably been when he's been advancing the ball, which is kind of weird given his career at Real Madrid, where I guess he just, you know, allowed Luka Modric and Tony Cruz to do the creative work more more so. Um, I mean, could you have Maynard, Casemiro and Bruno as a, as a sort of three almost and allow, yeah. you know, um, Casemiro and Bruno to perhaps get a little bit more forward? But that I, I do think that perhaps limits Cobby a little bit because, you you know, he does have that pass in him, you know, that kind of... that that ability to turn defence into attack, but maybe that's you know that's best served from, from deep, uh, like an Andrea Pirlo kind of style. And again, I'm not getting carried away and saying that Kobe Mainu is, is Andrea Pirlo, but that, that kind of function in a team. Um, yeah, I mean, Casemiro was always brought in by United because it got to a point in the season, they'd lost two games, there was panic, and he was available. He wanted to leave Real Madrid. United paid a lot of money for him, big wages, and he, he transformed. He, he saved that first season for Eric Ten Hag, I would say, perhaps more than any player at all that, that then joined. That, that, that being said, he perhaps wasn't exactly what United or Ten Hag needed, wanted. It's a really interesting debate as to what happens with Casemiro as the season goes on. The manager wanted Frankie de Jong. That was his absolute number one. And the more it dragged on and on and on, United needed to do something and that's when Casemiro came into play. I thought Casemiro was fantastic last season. Yeah. I'm still not convinced by this argument that his legs have, have just gone. As if in June he just switched off and went, that's me done as a player. But he wasn't playing well at the start of this season. I know his goal scoring statistics were, were, were impressive, but we could see that it wasn't the Casemiro who'd been so dominant in matches. Like his first start against Everton last year, he was fantastic. Kobe Mainu is, is really encouraging. I think he needs to be handled correctly. I think that Eric Tanag will do that. You can look elsewhere to see how other super talented players have been overused and then picked up major injuries. Pedri and Gavi at Barcelona, both world-class players. Jude Bellingham is doing absolutely fantastically, but some of these lads were being asked to play 60 games in a season. We're nowhere near that with Kobe Mainu, but handle him correctly. He is young, he's going to have bad games, but the fact that he's done it at Everton and Liverpool away 
is so encouraging out of the darkness that so much of this season has given us. And the fact that United aren't in Europe anymore, so, you know, and, and out of the Carabao Cup, so the, the level of games that they had to play last season just isn't going to be the same. So you kind of think, actually, that, that might serve someone like Maynou well. And just on Casemiro, I think earlier this season, a lot of the issues were stemming from him being advanced and having to sort of run back and him looking slower because he was running back rather than having just stayed in that position from the get-go. If you've got Maynou next to him, maybe Maynou stays and he can you know advance and then it's not as frantic that he has to kind of try and plug a gap that's emerged. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Eric Ten Hag does, no doubt about that. Laurie mentioned his piece before from Anfield. It's on The Athletic right now. Remember, we have that offer on at the moment. You can gift... Uh, a subscription to The Athletic for one year at the special discounted price of 19.99. To sign up, go to theathletic.com forward slash manunitedpod. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, just going to spend the last sort of 10, 15 minutes of the podcast just looking ahead a little bit if we can. Obviously, the point yesterday, Andy, for Ten Hag was really important just to sort of stem what was a growing scrutiny on his position, on Manchester United's fortunes as well. That's not going to go away clearly by one point at Anfield. But what has to happen next? Because West Ham away looks like a tough game. Aston Villa at home looks like a tough game. Where do United go from here? I think fans need to pick convinced of, of a, a more definitive playing style. Results will obviously shape the mood massively. As you said, there's, there's difficult games coming up. Um, players, my best case scenario is that your top players come back. That's the one point Eric Tenag has continually made. I've had to change the team so much. Even at Anfield. I mean, how many times have Raphael Varane and Johnny Evans pl- played together? And it's all about results. If you look a year ago, United went into 23 and that January, February period was the best. I look at the lack of games because we're out of the League Cup in Europe in two ways. I've always been told that getting into that Europa League would have been better for overall squad management because emerging players and fringe players can get minutes. And footballers want to play football. I'm still stung by that fourth place finish. I've got to be honest, that's a massive failure out of that Champions League group. But at some point, Manchester United have got to try and move on. 
We don't expect incomings in January. I mean, I've asked the manager that and he doesn't expect that to happen unless a major target becomes available. But issues like financial fair play are still very real. Be great to win the FA Cup and just getting wins together and a top four finish. What more can we hope for this season? If United finish in the top four and win the FA Cup, that would be a success. But we're coming at it from a low bar. I'm still surprised at how bad this this season has been. Get your players back. Get Lissandro Martinez in. You almost feel tight on Johnny and Raphael because they've actually done so well. And Harry Maguire, don't forget, was a player in a month last season. So the centre of defence seems like the least of our worries. The team's not scoring enough goals. We need to get players like Marcus Rashford playing well again. Rasmus Hoyland needs more service. He needs to start scoring goals. Anthony's got to raise his game. There's issues all over the field. But I do think that Eric Tenag knows what he wants. And I think he's got to convince more in the transfer market. Because if you're looking now and going, has Mason Mount been a success? You're pretty stretched to say yes. And he needs um, for Manchester United to start winning again. Because David Moyes has, has, has built a very competent side. Um, Unai Emery has built an even better side. I've raved about him for years. He's a brilliant manager. Uh, I know the game's at Old Trafford, but Villa will be a really difficult side. And then you go into January, got Tottenham, got considered them as sort of um, rivals, Wolves away. Big matches all the time. Let's talk about the transfer window. Andy said it there that Eric Ten Hag said he wasn't expecting to be able to sign anyone in January. If someone left... That would change things, wouldn't it? Yeah, it depends who leaves. But uh, yeah, for sure, Eric Tenag would demand a replacement for anyone that that left. You know, he's um, you know, strong-minded, and um, you know, for example, when it was being discussed, would Rafael Varane leave because he was out of the team and you know dissatisfied at that situation? Um, clearly, Tenag would want a replacement in. Now, Varane's come back into the team, played brilliantly, uh, and it's a bit of a Harry Maguire situation all over again. Um, I, I don't know what happens when Harry Maguire gets fit. I mean. I guess you you probably would try and play Maguire with um, Varane. Um, although, so 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 the 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 funny aspect of Anfield was that Varane was the left sided centre half rather than Johnny Evans, which is kind of what we'd been told. You know, was why Evans was in the team. Same against Bayern when they're on the pitch together as well. Well, that's the only thought. I wondered whether Tanag just went. Well, they they play pretty well when he came on. I didn't want to change the situation when Evans had to come on against Bayern. He likes to you uh, sort of keep systems going doesn't he if, if it's worked in the previous game he doesn't like to make too many changes so I, I thought maybe that was it but sorry back to your original point in terms of if a player goes out then yeah I think Tenag would only sanction that if he could get a player in Sancho maybe being the exception but whether any team you know pays any money for him and can match his wages is another question I was told that two loans might be possible again it, it depends on the pricing um, but clearly they're temporary fixes they're not you know situations that are going to impact the financial fair play calculations to too great a degree um you'd, you'd think a striker is if we've been saying this for how many years is required even just to sort of share the burden with Hoyland I know Marshall has come in and, and done okay against Everton but then you know pretty bad in his next game um Hoyland I thought 
just he looked t- really tired at the end of the Bayern Munich game and I thought again at Liverpool he only touched the ball like four times in the first half which is incredible I mean Nunes to be fair for Liverpool also touched the ball about five times in the first half so both strikers um, that have been bought for quite big money were, were having difficult afternoons overall I think he touched the ball 19 times but and, and there is definitely an issue with being with service to him Mark Critchley wrote a really good piece on that, um, on The Athletic. But I thought yesterday there was also a little bit of Hoyland not really moving in the right positions and, and kind of sensing the opportunities. So it, it is a bit of a two-way street there. Um, that being said, I, I think he's you know a, a really promising player and, and for 20 years old, we shouldn't be expecting everything. But just that's why maybe in January, if they could get an experienced player just to kind of share the burden a little bit at times, that would be helpful, I think. Is Valt Vergost available, Andy? <laughs> yeah, we saw with Ericsson's injury last year, that's why Sabertzer came in. And uh, when Vergost came in, I, I definitely remember you calling me. Um, it was Palace <laughs> away. He's going here. He's going here. <laughs> and you you liked the look of him, didn't you, Ian? <laughs> Don't remember that. I won't punish you too much on that. No, no do you remember no. standing on a box on Saturday singing Regret by New Order, thinking you're Bernard <laughs> Sumner, with your adoring wife looking into your eyes? Anyway, where were we? Um... Yeah, you've just taken me back to that moment, actually. Where were we, indeed? You've completely thrown me, thank you. Let's talk about something else that's not about Saturday night, shall we? The other aspect about January that obviously is a question mark at the moment as well is what happens with Jim Radcliffe's investment. And the issue, I think, is that United are running out of time now for that to have any impact on the January transfer window. Yeah, and we still don't know the answer. We keep hearing two weeks, two weeks. Remember when Gary Neville was injured and he was always coming back in two weeks and it became one year and two years. It's like that. The latest, as I understand, and is that the delay is more about the non-executive directors in the United board taking their time to review and sign off. It is a very tedious process, is my understanding of where we're at. I can't tell you any more than that, but that's, that, that's, that's well-sourced information. The other aspect, Laurie, as well, the Premier League are going to have to have a look at all of this and approve it as well. And if it's taken a long time for everything to be put together and worked through, well, the league are going to have to look across all of that before it can go through. So does that mean January's impossible now, almost? I think we're at a stage now where any you know investment from Ineos, Ratcliffe, won't have any impact on January. I think United are already working on that basis. Um, and e- even if they were, you know, get the green light today, ratified in double quick time. Um, I don't think there's actually... They, they could invest their own money, but it's not as straightforward as them putting in this 90 million that you're allowed on the, the calculations and, and United being able to spend 90 million in January. It's not as straightforward as that. I need a, a full uh, length article probably and, and a lot of smart people to help me explain exactly what the details are but from what I understand it it's not the Ratcliffe situation isn't going to have a material impact on what happens in January other than maybe at that point you know he's got more authority on the sporting um, side of things and you know there's that check to be made we're we're today Brailsford who is we expect going to be you know an influential figure on the sporting side he has some kind of say but it's not in terms of the financial aspects, it's not going to impact things. Okay. Just to pick up on something that you said a couple of answers ago, actually, and it, it popped into my head, but I didn't want to disrupt the transfer chat. We didn't talk about Diogo Delo's red card uh, in the game yesterday. You mentioned Darwin Nunez. There was a bit of debate as to whether he could have been sent off for what he did in the first half, especially when you see Delo getting those two bookings. I, I don't know, Laurie, if I can remember 
a situation like that where a player's picked up two bookings so quickly for essentially the same offence. What was the reaction after the game? Bizarre. I mean, I just assumed that he'd already been booked in the game. And then obviously, no, he hadn't. His reaction was over the top. You know, it was kind of like arms waving. But that was the only thing I saw. Um, you, saw you watch the replay and you see that he kind of disagrees with the first decision from Oliver in an aggressive way, um, which, you know, Dolo was correct, by the way. Um, and then as he's raising the yellow card, he's, he's sort of reacting to it. Is that a second action or is that sort of all part of the same you know annoyance at the fact that a throw-in that you thought you'd won really well has gone against you um yeah I don't know it seemed I've not seen that before have I seen it before I'm trying to think maybe once before uh but yeah I've seen it once before when a player's been well done a foul where they should have got booked the play's continued they've done another foul where they get where they do it gets sort of stopped and they do get booked and then they also get booked for the first foul and so two yellow cards and I think Martinelli got that didn't he so yeah and then you look at what Nunes did in the first half where he's like you know ran into Johnny Evans with his elbow um, you know kicked the ball away and then you know sarcastically clapped the officials it's like oh, okay and that's just one booking so you just want a bit of consistency don't you so Tenag afterwards wasn't getting drawn into it just said you, you know you make up your own mind you've all seen it um but clearly that's i think a very unfortunate red card to receive right one last thing to tidy up actually if we can andy the under 18s for manchester united we haven't spoken about them this season but my goodness they're doing well aren't they doing really well they keep winning and winning and winning and it's lovely to see and i know that nick cox and his staff on the youth side do not obsess about results it's all about making a better person a better footballer making them more rounded but if you're winning then surely it's better than, than losing it's a good group of young players, obviously the young because it's the under 18s, but some so, of them yeah. are like 16 years old. Yeah, yeah, you'd be a bit worried if a 29-year-old <laughs> suddenly started bagging for the under 18s. Yeah, I'd have a few um, of them in the 21s, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. I'm told it is definitely too, it's too early for them, all right? So don't start getting carried away because fans do this. It's like, can't be worse than what we're seeing in the first team. Put that seven-year-old up front. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But one thing which I think is really important, statistically, these lads, maybe one or two will make it from that side. If you can be selling players, it helps massively with financial fair play. And this is something a team called Manchester City got on 15 years ago. And I remember speaking to one of their coaches. He was a former Premier League player, just socially, and he said, we're trying to sell players we can be selling players for 3 million which with football inflation is probably 15 million City have done it really well of course it helps when you've got a decent side but the idea of it being really important for FFP was was stressed to me lovely to see uh, we saw the Youth Cup win a couple of years ago if there's another batch of young players coming through fans absolutely love that yeah, we certainly do. It'll be interesting to keep an eye on how they get on over the course of this season and beyond as well. That's it then for Talk of the Devils. Andy, from all of us, a very, very happy 50th birthday. I want to know how he's actually spending it though. Do you know where I'm spending my birthday? On a plane. My, my wife's from Brazil and I'm going to Brazil for the first time in six years. First time post-COVID. Trust me, it's not cheap to take a family to Brazil. Any advice for anyone who's looking for a future partner in a bar, just try and find someone from Bolton or Stockport. It will be much cheaper. <laughs> but we're good, we're good. we are going there, spending the whole day on a plane, going to the south of Brazil. It's it's high summer there, and I'm going for a couple of weeks. And um, You're definitely finding like Rodrigo Possibon or something, aren't you? What, what obscure Brazilian footballer are you, are you going to interview? 
Well, I know Rodrigo. Of I know, course, I, of I, course I, obviously. I, I always meet him when I go there. He's a nice lad. <laughs> it is a football city that she's from, Porto Alegre. So, Gremio. So, Fabio's just been there. Luis Suarez has just been there. Internacional. Uh, Anderson. I know um, ah. good old Ando. So, of, of course, I will be um, doing my job, being a good journalist, meeting up with people. And, you know, I just say to my wife, just... Hold the Christmas dinner for a few hours. I've just got to meet. <laughs> eh. Let's see what I come up with. I'm not tempting fate, but I do try and meet people. But um, I hope everyone else has a, a, a top Christmas as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, safe travels, Andy. Enjoy your birthday. Thank you for being with us. And Laurie, thank you as well. I'm going off for a couple of Nurofen and some honey and lemon, I think. <laughs> we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic.